You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Hello, I'm Mirella Amato. Welcome to Hot Plate, a post-foodie podcast. This season, we examine the impact COVID has had on every aspect of our food system, all the way from farm to table. We'll look at how things have changed and try to untangle what's going on behind the scenes so that we can strengthen our connection to our food. In this episode, new freedoms and meeting the makers. We're talking beer, wine, and spirits. Hello, Joshna. Hi, Mirella. How are you? I'm all right. I'm okay. And yourself? Yeah, okay. I'm okay. Let's talk about food. What was the last thing you ate? Oh, Last thing I ate. Last thing I ate, leftover chicken curry and rice. Okay, uh, you're eating yes. a, a lot of leftovers. I am uh, because I'm doing a lot of cooking demos from my kitchen by myself, and it leaves me with way more food than I can oh. really handle. So I've really had to make friends with leftovers. Amazing. Um, so this is delicious chicken curry and rice, and this time I put shredded up uh, broccoli leaves in it. Because I Ooh. also I got a broccoli in a food box that came with that beautiful cage around it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in the you know in the field it has that nice cage, and uh, in an effort to minimize my waste, I was like, these are delicious, nutritious things. So and they melted into the gravy of the curry quite beautifully. I have never had broccoli leaves. I've li- I've never seen broccoli mm-hmm. leaves. If I had mm-hmm. seen them, I would definitely eat them because broccoli yep. is delicious. It's delicious. Um, oh, that's cool. So eat? this is food that someone else paid for. And that you yes. took extra care and attention making because it was for work. And then you get yes. these delicious, amazing leftovers afterwards. Exactly. Oh, that's a, exactly. It's a lovely. I thought, I thought, you know, having a couple of beers left over afterwards was a nice treat. This is, <laughs> this no, is I next got level. like a whole box of food. I got, I got a vegetable box and I got a chicken box delivered. So I really um, have had to make, oh, to work through it a lot. Luckily, the chicken was, was single portioned, back sealed, okay. and it came frozen so that my uh, living alone can just handle, I can just de-thaw, I can just thaw one piece of a thing at a time, which is great. Wow. So the chicken box is just different pieces of a chicken. It's not yes. like chicken sausages and chicken. No, this particular one is just different cuts of the bird, uh, but mm. but beautifully single portion packed. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Nice gift. Wow. What did you eat? Well, now I'm feeling super extra bad. <laughs> About no, my contribution no, no. <laughs> uh, because it is, it's just another meatball sandwich. Nice. I it's love a, your meatball sandwiches. That's, that's so great. Hey, they're, I'm, I'll tell you this. They don't get old. I think for me, there's a real n- nostalgia piece there. Yes. You know, uh, meatballs are definitely something that I grew up with. I had a lot when I was little and that I, I personally don't make. Right. So it's something I associated yeah, yeah, with yeah. when I was younger and that I associate with my parents and my family. So And they keep being uh, delicious. They're not getting old. Yeah, they're yeah. still delicious. Uh, Amazing. I've I been getting them once a week for, I don't know, I think well over a year at this I point. Love, I <laughs> so. love that. That is so great. Um, um, okay. I love but it. hey, That's also nice. free. Yes. And also made with love. Yeah. So, and other so people. Exactly. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So in our ongoing uh, effort to really focus on the impact of COVID on our food industry, today we're talking about booze. I'm yes. really excited about this one because it's been fascinating to watch. Um, so let's get into it. I think 
like uh, I think that from our research and from our conversations, one of the things that's pretty clear is uh, the bottom line on all of this is that everybody took a really mega hit. Right. Yeah, that seems to be important sure. to sort of acknowledge up the top. Nobody is doing well. The in the entire industry is really taking a hit. Um, however, people are generally surviving. They've managed. Yeah, it's, I would to, say it's know? not as devastating as restaurants. Exactly. You know? Exactly. It's uh, um, that's a fascinating piece. Uh, very few um, spots have closed. Very few businesses have closed. Um, and in fact, we've even seen a bit of growth in some yeah. cases so that that is pretty cool so it's uh important to note at the beginning um also i thought it was i i did think it was kind of interesting that there wasn't very much when we went looking for information right 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 was, i was I kind of restaurants was uh totally. you know not covered enough uh, when we look at you know here we're talking specifically about distillers right you know uh vintners i believe is the term i do believe that is it yes uh, and brewers um, and there were so few articles, Yes, you know, really, I guess most of the work that we've done has been based on, you know, interviewing people and, and chatting with people and, and the odd article, thankfully, That's right. but. Um, it has been curious. And maybe this is, it's just a timing thing. And then, then, you know, a few months down the road, we'll have had the, the, the they'll have, people have had the time to consider this more, but it's interesting and there's a lot to talk about. So let's jump in. And maybe we'll start a conversation. Ooh, I like it. I like Ooh. it. So when we were organizing this episode, we really noticed three areas where there was a huge impact right. with COVID, buying habits, production, and distribution. So that's how we've decided to structure the episode. Yep. Yep. Um, and buying habits, of course, have changed dramatically. I mean, as we examined in the grocery episode, you know, everyone is shopping differently. That's right. For everything. Uh, and the only difference, I guess, is, you know, unlike clothing for example where i'm assuming people are buying a lot less of it uh, when it comes to food we still have to buy it and when it comes to alcohol we don't have to buy it but everyone is definitely still is still <laughs> buying, buying it yes it. it's just how we we buy it is different and yep. uh the one i think big difference that has occurred is that of course because Everyone doesn't want to linger in the store. Mm -hmm, you know, everyone's mm -hmm. making quick decisions. So there isn't as much browsing as was going right. you know, before. Certainly from a, you know, a craft beer perspective, uh, you know, we've all had that experience. You come to the shelf and there's like so many brightly colored beers mm -hmm, and all these mm -hmm. exciting and new things. And you start looking around and, oh, what's this one? Oh, what does this mean? And right. well, who's this brewer? And that really was happening a lot less with the pandemic. People are just popping in and saying, oh, I know this one. It's good. Let me grab five of those. That's right. Uh, and That's I'm done right. because, you know, there's a lot of people here and social distancing. And, uh, and so know, similar, like uh, less frequent, but bigger bigger tickets and people are and there's a sort of like let's just buy six of these as yeah. opposed to messing around with discovering new things right yeah uh, the other big thing of course was home delivery yep which uh, i know that i wasn't doing before and i've certainly ordered directly from producers uh, from breweries specifically and this is something that existed before the pandemic yeah that, let's just talk about this it's this is like it, it it's funny because there there's a bit of a parallel with the food in that there were yeah. a lot of people who didn't realize you could just go buy food directly from a farmer <laughs> right? right similarly you can in fact just buy wine from a vintner or you know spirits from a distiller um so this this existed previous to the pandemic it did 
It did. And certainly the breweries that already had some kind of online ordering system in place fared better when the pandemic started because they already had a way to get their beers to people. This being said, interestingly, I, I was not aware of this, but there was a law that said they could not charge for delivery. So I uh-huh. wonder if that maybe plays a little bit into why we didn't know about it, because why would a why brewery would advertise, advertise that they could deliver to you yep. at their cost when instead you can just pop over there and, and grab your grab your product? Okay, so then did um, that get did that get lifted? Did the law get lifted? Yeah, in the okay. spring of uh, 2020, it's one of the you know one of the many measures that the the government took to to help. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is Ontario. We're talking about Ontario yep, here. I don't yep, that is Ontario. I'm sure. Uh, but you know that makes a huge difference, right? Because or else that's a that's like big cost to be delivering all all these uh, these products. It's a large it's, with it's no a huge with no effort. delivery charge. So yep. and at least it allows the flexibility. You know, a lot of certainly um, the brewery. I've ordered from have a you know a free delivery with a minimum purchase, but then at least they're they're able to use that as you know an incentive and you know instead of just you know doing all these deliveries for free because they have yeah but the, the yeah <laughs> something's gonna have to be in it for them already a lot of loss uh, is there was that the same story in the wine world was that was there a delivery because I remember being able to buy directly from wineries yes. Uh, so it seems that people were a little bit more aware, especially with local wineries. I think um, right. wine drinkers were a bit more, you know, they've, uh, I think it's been around for a lot longer. So certainly I've heard of wine, cl- you know, you could sign up for a brewery, uh, sorry, a winery's wine club and they would send you yes, bottles. Yes, yes, they had some sort, like of that sort of subscription thing. kind of thing. Yes. But okay. here's an interesting a fun fact that came up in wine that didn't come up in beer and spirits. Remember at the beginning of the pandemic when we were all panicking and, and you know, everyone was, run, the toilet paper was running out and the yeah, flour yeah, yeah, was running yeah. out. At that, people pantry loaded their wine as well. So people okay. who were wine drinkers, okay, there was like a in huge uptick really? in online sales. And clearly, people did not want to run out of wine. Right. And so by the, the cases, they were anticipating the need for the, the that's amazing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so that, you know, and then of course there's increased awareness of this online possibility. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the online sales are doing pretty well across the board. The only place they're, they're not doing so well is, is spirits because of course, as was pointed out to me, who buys a case of spirits, Right. you know, right, right. Only people throwing parties. So then in this, how, what's, how's this manifesting in the spirits world then? If they, if this is not, let me buy a case of this, which easily with your rosé and whatever it is, what's happening with our spirits friends. So for the, for the larger spirit companies, um, my understanding is that they're doing okay. And that's again, because of what I was pointing out earlier with the way people are shopping, right? Whereas Mm -hmm. before they might've, you know, people might've had more of a tendency to look around and like, Oh, do I want to grab my usual vodka or do I want to try something new and different? Yep. Um, and be- between the, the time factors, just the pressure of getting in and out quickly uh, and the, the the cost factor, of course, right? Because mm-hmm. we're all in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have, you know, are watching their money a little bit more. People are, you know, just gravitating back to, to what they know. And in this case, we're talking about the larger brands, right? Okay. Um, and in addition to sense. this, yeah. which I really, I was not aware of, and this is, a big problem is for smaller distilleries, which are called craft distilleries. Mm-hmm. At the LCBO, 
they have to sell into in individual stores. Like they have to send in someone to go into the LCBO oh, God, and really? convince that particular uh, LCBO to stock them. And that's how they get into LCBOs. Oh, um, man. And at the beginning of the pandemic, it was basically just forbidden. I was going to say, how would they even pull that off? Right. Oh, that's really yeah. frustrating. Okay. So, so huge challenges there, especially for the craft distillers. Um, fortunately, they have been getting support from bars. And this is clever. This is, this makes sense because, you know, bars, of course, are also trying to make money and they're thinking, yes. you know, how, how can I get the sale? And a really clever way to make that sale is carry something that the LCBO doesn't carry. That's it. Right? Smart. Okay, that's smart. So we're seeing a lot of really lovely partnerships between these uh, craftists. Or I don't know if they're partnerships, but these these um, bars that are reaching out to smaller distillers and looking for more niche It's a very smart move. Um, carry. And cool opportunity for innovation there, I think, right? Absolutely. And... Yeah. It also makes sense, right? I think if I was looking for an unusual spirit in a pandemic time, I would probably go to my local mixologist and yep. say, you know, where do I get this? That's and, super great. Yes. You know, for or you know, for them to say, Oh, actually my I stock it at my at my bar. Yeah. Come pick and it we've up. Got a nice connection. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, it's also like look. Uh, to have some opportunity to be a bit subversive is something that I will embrace as well. Like if the, you know what I mean? If the, the guidelines around LCBO access are this uh, irritating and then, then that's a bit impossible in the, in a, in a time of social distancing, then let's be creative and innovative and figure out ways to work around it. Right. This is For smart. sure. Uh, For sure. Like Although we saw a lot of parallels, you know, in the last segment with the buying habits, mm -hmm. the production of these three beverages is uh -huh. completely different, right? right. Okay. Yeah, you know, All if right. you think of how wine is made versus spirits versus beer, the, the raw ingredients are different, the, right. you know, of course. how they're made. Um, and so starting with wine, mm. the first thing that we encountered was obviously migrant worker issues. That's right. Because... Right. Wine, because this is an agricultural, yes, this is an agricultural issue. Right, right, right. They grow grapes. Um, and they were hit pretty hard last mm -hmm. year in uh, in 2020. There was a, a big delay. Of course, we talked about this in our migrant worker episode. That's right. That, um, you know, there was a question of like, do we even let them into the country or not? And, that's right. you know, there's a lot of hesitancy. While and the so grapes all were maturing that, on the vines. Right. That's right. right, right, right. That's right. So, so with that delay, uh, it was really not great for last year's crop. Okay. Um, but the the good news is that you know there was no permanent damage. You know, it's not like a bunch of vines died or anything like that. It just meant they weren't able to produce uh, as much as right. they had hoped. Here's the really interesting bit. Yeah. Because both the provincial and the federal government have each stepped in individually mm. and each set their own set of rules and okay. guidelines. It is causing a lot of confusion and there is concern that things are actually going to be worse this year than last year in mm. terms of the impact on production. And that's really unfortunate. And, and is that, that is that that's connected to the kind of 
the 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 confusion that that was happening around legislation and, and decisions well, yeah. that were made because the that, wineries right? you know okay. they want to do things properly and they have two completely different sets of rules right. to follow that aren't necessarily aligned um and they're all everything everything is new because it was all passed this year right in reaction right. to fresh. what happened okay. last year okay okay and um i was talking to a representative uh and they were just saying it they're they're very very worried because there's lots it just wrinkles to iron out and because a yeah. lot of that was a bit of knee jerk oh my god we got to do something kind of let's deal with this right now uh process i get that yes the interesting thing though josh now in speaking to representatives of wineries is that because i asked you know what is the threat of wineries closing yeah, right right and How close the response i yeah. got you know this is just one person but the response i got was it's not an option and right. if you stop mm. and think about it you know these people have grapes in the ground yeah uh yeah. that's a yeah you know they have yeah. all this land i mean it's a huge huge investment and so it's like a much much bigger decision to close than it would be otherwise right yeah, that makes a lot of sense because even i remember a conversation saying about the fact that like um it's with with the broader strokes um it, it, we've wine has been around for a really really long time right this right. just one year is a bit just of a tinier blip in the longer scheme of things uh because uh even just to get started when you start a winery you, it's it's still like five years out actually producing a bottle of wine to sell to oh my goodness right? yeah it, it's a major long game so that's that's a that's a, an important distinction i guess between the other two it is although i got a similar response from the people i spoke to about spirits, but for a different reason. Mm, okay. And this is, of course, not going to impact every single distillery. It depends what the distillery produces. But any distillery who has any plans to release, for example, a scotch or a bourbon type of beverage or a different rise, a lot of these brown spirits, they require two to four years of oak aging. Okay. So these breweries are sitting on, you know, and spirits are not cheap. So if you're sitting on barrels upon barrels, of spirits that are carefully aging in oak to meet the the requirement to later be sold then uh again that's a very large investment and it makes closing a much less appealing option because right, that's a lot to toss aside yeah uh, right? so and it's almost you know, just off, prohibitive yes right so off the top we were talking about how everyone is struggling but there haven't been that many closures and mm. it's possible that one of the reasons why there hasn't been that many closures is because it's, you know, it's a, it's a much bigger decision than it it's would be, a, you know, you know, for example, for a restaurant or something. Yeah. Like that. Oh, you know, um, this also gets me thinking about the fact that we haven't heard very much about farms shutting down. Exactly. Right? right. It's the same spirit. Like restaurants is one thing, but we, we have, we have, there's not been much talk about actually because that's one season is not enough to make a farm entirely shut down. Right. right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So here in beer, the story is completely different. Okay. And the main story when it comes to production, and this is something that had not occurred to me, but it makes so much sense. There are a number of breweries that deal entirely with draft. So they are uh, oh. a brew pub. They have like a tap room 
that's on premise. They may right, have a restaurant, uh, and then they only sell their beer in kegs to a select mm-hmm, number mm-hmm, of bars. I got it. Well, when was the last time you had a draft beer? Yeah, really not. <laughs> right. Oh, right. Okay. I got it. So these, these breweries all of a sudden have zero way to get their beers to they customers. They can't get it to people. Right. <sighs> Fortunately, thankfully, there is such a thing as a mobile canning unit. Were you aware of this? Okay. Tell me more. No, I love this. <laughs> tell me more. So these are companies that have canning machines. And they can, they'll drive to your brewery when you need them and set everything and I guess up. You just and set then, up the, the input from your kegs and they have the capacity to crank out the cans or the bottles. Awesome. It allows you to, it's cans specifically, it's cans. I imagine, because cans are more lightweight. Yep. yep. Um, actually, it probably has more to do with the machinery. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to continue yeah, this yeah, in there, yeah. but, um, but you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Because these breweries that are brew pub and draft only, they don't they don't have a can this they, is, they, they might no not label. even they, yeah yeah they have a logo but have they thought about what the logo is going to look like on the can that's right you know once it gets on there is it going to be appealing to you know like you have to do a little bit of marketing especially considering mm-hmm. what we were talking about before that people are just going in and out when they're shopping uh, that's so right you need and so it's to nothing that, that will brand. be recognized uh, yeah i got it so so these really are the the breweries that that struggled the most they took a really hit um, they took a hard hit that makes sense okay the canning companies are doing super well nice okay <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> good for them that's a growth opportunity there that's awesome uh and the other piece that frankly i was really unimpressed with hmm. is i found out that the federal tax for beer has gone up twice since the beginning of the pandemic what really Fet- really yeah yes uh, in Ontario, they've paused the tax. They've said, you know, you're struggling enough. We're not going right, to right. raise taxes during uh, the pandemic. I think the the AGCO also deferred licensing fees, but the federal government was like, nope. Well, I think maybe what I'm curious about is, was this an inevitability that just they uh, they uncompassionately did not cancel? Or was this like, like are these routine tax hikes? That they yes, didn't forgive they are, or is, or did they, were they imposed once they saw? No, they are routine. They are okay. routine. Okay. Um, and it's more a question of other governments and other entities giving them a break during the pandemic and right. the federal government for some, and this is a specifically a beer tax. So, Mirella, now let's talk about distribution. Let's talk about yes. how this stuff actually got out to people, because I have found it very curious uh, in in the height of it all last year uh, to see that breweries, wineries, distilleries were all deemed essential soon after the p- pandemic hit. Uh, and to me, the reason that's important is because the farmers markets had to work a lot harder to get that designation. Uh, right. right. Which and is that, food. It's a, it's, a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a curiosity. Um, right. And so let's let's talk a little bit about what how about, you know, once we saw the trouble with actually getting this stuff made, but then now what's happening with getting this stuff out to people? Yeah. Well, I think the fact that breweries, wineries and distilleries were deemed essential right away 
was key to them doing okay, right? Mm-hmm. Because it means that they were allowed to continue production, which means and they no interruptions, to have product, right, 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 right. Um, and of course, the loss of restaurant sales was a huge impact, but the bigger impact, as far as I could see, was the loss of like tourism type sales. Well, any brewery or winery or even distilleries very often, um, you know, they'll position themselves as a bit of a destination and they'll include, you know, they'll have either a bakery or or a food pop-up or wineries. Check out these numbers. Um, Pre-pandemic, a small winery in the summer would typically get about 28,000 visitors. Last year, uh, the typical number went from 28,000 to 3,000. Whoa. Wow. Okay. That's, that's okay. nuts. You can see the dollars um, connected to that pretty easily. Okay. Of course. Of yeah. course. And when, when we look at the all three wineries, if anything, were at an advantage because think about it. You, have you been to a winery? Like look at how, how much land they have. Yeah, right? the, so sure, when it came sure. to reopening yes. with social distancing – you can fit a lot of people six you feet apart. Every other exactly, property, right? exactly. That's cute, uh, you know course. much more than, for example, a, you know a, a destination brewery, which usually has like a parking lot type. Yeah, and a sack of grain. Or it's a sack yeah. of grain that they've got. <laughs> that you right, can sit right, on right. right? Um, so, so they, you know, they did okay in the summer, but when you look at the numbers, it's 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 not even close. Okay. Um, okay. Um, the one thing that was helpful was the allowance of pat, you know, the government just seemed to decide, ah, just put up any patio you want and we won't we charge really you for did. it. We really did. I loved it. And it's like a chair <laughs> beside a pylon and that's a patio, right? It was pretty, mm-hmm. uh, pretty hilarious. Alcohol is of course delicious, but it's to me, more importantly, a social beverage, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that, that need that that summer need of like let's let's just go on a patio and totally. you know just sit and relax and chat over a glass of something um it's just lovely that the the government's recognized that that the value in that and uh, by allowing well, and these, that is like patios as it is as Canadians, that was a thing for us, right? There's yes. a running joke about the minute there's a, a dripping icicle, we are out there, <laughs> right? Taking yeah. advantage <laughs> of as much. So to, to to have to deal with that in a moment where we are pushed inside away from each other uh, is really is su- substantial. Yeah. And in terms of distribution, there were a lot of like little things that I wasn't aware of that uh, I don't know if you, you must know about this, but during the, during the past year, uh, sales of beer have been allowed in farmers markets yes which it wasn't very permitted exciting before. thing yeah previously it was wine uh in ontario but now craft beer ontario craft beer obviously is yes. part of the story which is a finally right it seems a bit yeah. crazy that that hasn't existed before finally we've got uh this and i like that this was the push that's great because it really opens up opportunity uh you know customer connection and just like come on it just makes much more sense for sure, uh, for sure, uh, and it uh, allows some breweries to to recuperate some of that face, you know, because what's missing here really is that face to face time. This is it, which this especially it. you know, craft establishments, be they distilleries, wineries, or breweries, they really depend on that moment where they're making that personal connection with you, and that's how they really sell their beer and introduce you, or their wine or their spirit and introduce you to their brand. So, 
Okay. Uh, I love that this is a lot because this is outdoors, you know, right. so it's it's opening the door to that. Uh, and uh. another little little change that has happened while no one was paying attention has to do with wines and they can now be sold in um it, this this is related to the fact that you can take out uh spirits alcohol and wine from restaurants now um but it's been extended in a way so that like a like a kind of a bakery type establishment they can sell bottles of wine oh wow oh, okay if they want to doesn't that just feel very european that feels very, it feels very romantic at the same time. Uh, I'm just love loving it. this idea. The, like the baguette and the bottle and the Pulling off you the go, Vespa, right? right? You, oh, it's perfect. You're following me, right? Uh, 100%, I'm <laughs> yeah. right there with you. Uh, in fact, uh, it's super great because in when I was doing a bit of research, uh, I found this an interesting piece called A Winery Wake-Up Call. And this is a yes. wine industry publication. And what this person was suggesting, this quote here I thought was so fascinating, and, and this person said that the, the pandemic proves that the survival of the business is not predicated on making premium wine or quality wine, but rather on how you market and sell new wine in creative ways. Mm. And that really stuck with me because it's like, there's two things here. Production is one thing, but really what you need to pay attention to is how are you getting this stuff out there? Because right. they're asserting that a lot of these sort of professional wine marketing organizations can do a much better job of selling wine, uh, regardless of the quality of the thing. Right. And and they're really right. focusing on the fact that, that wine making in itself needs to open up a little bit to how it actually gets to and, and appeals to the market. For sure. And these distrib these new distribution channels allow for that. Right. I love because it. Because if true. I'm in a bakery and I see these wines, you know, I'm, I'm going to think of those wines a little bit differently. Like, how did these wines end up here? Why, why did the bakery choose these wines, choice, you know, um, as opposed to, you know, the wines that are at the farmer's market and those might be a different. So uh, it allows beyond, you know, typical marketing of like posters and whatnot, yep. you know, these kinds of strategic placement decisions. So when I think of the impact that COVID has had overall on the, in the industry, definitely this new understanding or emphasis on the importance of marketing and visibility yeah, uh, is something that I heard a lot. Uh, they also, the opening of this new uh, online distribution channel as a real possibility, especially now that the fees have been that's right uh, allowed that the, 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 the delivery feels the, sorry, the delivery feels all the delivery feels oh. uh, the delivery. <laughs> <laughs> the delivery fees. Um, this has opened a big door that I think uh, will stay. And the interesting thing with with COVID, I mean, a lot of these small little legislations and barriers have now been removed. Yes, there has been okay. an increased possibility yeah. to do these deliveries. Um, so I feel like as the as COVID winds down, alcohol producers are actually facing a much more interesting world a much more interesting well, marketplace i think you're right with and new the possibilities thing that, the thing that strikes me as we're talking about this is is the parallel around farmers markets and grocery stores in that part of the solution or the way forward is about closing the gap between producer and consumer and that's what the farmers market allows uh, but really in that context we're cutting out corporate interests Right. Yes. Um, but mm -hmm. in this, but in in the booze world, these new channels are also attempting to narrow that gap 
between yes. producer and consumer. The difference is that this time it's the government that we're cutting out as the middleman. Okay, Mirella, what have we learned? This has been an interesting one. And I think the the big thing that stands out for us is the differences between wine, spirits, and beer when it comes okay. to each of these different aspects, the buying habits, the production, the distribution. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, at first blush, it's clear that there are different things, um, but the way we approach them is often just... It's, it's alcohol, right? Yeah, it's not just and about drinking. It's not just about booze and drinking. Okay, I like that. All right. There's these, uh, these details and um, also fascinating to see how some of the legislation that we saw covers everything and some of them is like tiny little rules right. here and there it's fragmented for, for, sometimes. for beer yep. versus wine versus uh, spirits. And that's not only because of a federal versus provincial legislature. It's It's... I have to say, frankly, like really frustrating, the inconsistencies, and it it just doesn't seem right. All right. So now let's think about a call to action, dear listeners. We got to put something in your hands and some marching orders. Uh, And we want to encourage you all to please keep supporting your local breweries and wineries through direct purchases. Uh, That's the best way to get that stuff. It's the best way to take care of those folks and those small businesses. And let's send a little extra love to our craft spirit friends. Try a new local craft spirit because they really need your help. And they're delicious. If you are enjoying our podcast, please support us at patreon.com slash hotplatepod. Hotplate is part of the Frequency Podcast Network. Please consider leaving us a rating or review. It helps others find us. You can follow us on Instagram at hotplatepod. Follow me at Beerology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. Original music by her brother. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.